morning. Our scripture reading for today is found on page 14 in your bulletin, and it is from Luke chapter 7. Before we read that together, please join me in prayer. Father, in your light, we see light. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to engage with it afresh this morning. Please be with Pastor Jim as he exposits your word this morning. Empower him through your spirit and Help him to deliver the message that we need this morning. We thank you that we can trust you for these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. You may recall that we had a congregational retreat uh, last fall. And even if you couldn't come to the retreat itself, most of you uh, completed a survey Uh, to help us reflect on on the identity and the history and the needs of our church in this season. 
And uh, later in the fall, our leadership discussed the results of that time together. And one of the sense that one of the, one of the things that we sensed uh, coming out of that time was a need to communicate uh, what we believe God has called us to be and to do as a church and to reflect on our mission together. And so I was asked to, to help lead us through some reflection on our mission and, and vision as a church. And we print this in the bulletin every week. Uh, the mission of Geneva Campus Church is to glorify God by embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life together, equipping each other to serve Christ's kingdom, and engaging the university, the city, and the world with Christ's love and redemption. And so today, today we're beginning a new sermon series through which we're going to investigate what we mean by this statement. Why do we hold up these things as important? Uh, what does it say about our unique commitments and, and calling as a church in Madison? And how do we live into this mission together? Today, we want to look at the first of these, the first E. We glorify God by embodying the gospel in our life together. What does this mean? And to help us think about it, uh, let's consider this account of Jesus' ministry from Luke chapter 7. Here we find Jesus eating with the Pharisee, Simon, and as they gather, this woman, a woman of the city, shows up and shocks everyone with her love for Jesus. What we see here has a lot to teach us about what it means to embody the gospel in our life together. And there are three things for us to see. First, how Jesus welcomes outsiders. Second, how Jesus challenges insiders. And third, how insiders and outsiders together form a new kind of community. So let's look at each of these. First, how Jesus welcomes outsiders. Something that uh, we really love at Geneva is eating together at potlucks and, and picnics and parties. And I've been thinking about what, it, what is it about this uh, that's so important to us? It's not just the food, though that is an important element. And I, I'm thinking especially of the contributions of our uh, international students and, and members over the years. Generally, I'm, I'm not into churches competing with one another, but uh, in the great potluck competition of Madison, I think Geneva would rank up there. But it's not really about the food. Uh, there's something else about these gatherings that embodies the gospel of Jesus. A church potluck is a place where people who wouldn't normally sit down to eat together end up doing that. And for us, and, and part of the special significance of these potlucks for us at Geneva, is this is rooted in our history as a campus ministry, going back to Geneva's earliest days. The mindset around these meals at Geneva has always been, uh, this meal is not really for us. This is for the students. It's not for us. It's for others. It's not for insiders. It's for outsiders. And I know that that's the mindset of, of so many of you have brought uh, to these meals over the years. In a similar way, this is what we discover in Luke 7. 
The Pharisee who hosted this meal for Jesus uh, probably intended it to be for insiders, you know, people of status and, and privilege like himself. But when you invite Jesus to a party, you never know who's going to show up with him. You know, this meal would not have been an indoor event. Uh, it would have been outdoors on a patio, a, a Mediterranean-style banquet with the guests reclining on cushions at a low table. And so you can imagine how easy it would have been for an uninvited guest to show up and come right up to the table. And this is what happens when this woman arrives. The woman is a total outsider for, for several different reasons. First, she's a woman in a society dominated by men. Second, she has a reputation as a sinner, which means that she's not only a social outsider, she's also a religious outsider. Most commentators agree that she was likely a, a prostitute, and this would have been indicated by her loose hanging hair uh, to others. But even if she wasn't a prostitute, then she was tainted religiously in some other way, uh, in debt or ill or disabled or in regular contact with Gentiles or, or maybe some combination of all of those together. The point is, is that she was known in this town and looked down on by everyone in the respectable society. This party was not her social scene. As she arrives, uh, I imagine a few groans and glances around the table. Well, look who's here. But what she did next is completely shocking. She walks right in. And she kneels at Jesus' feet, which are stretched out away from the table. She's crying so hard that her tears fall on his feet. And she wipes them with her hair, and she kisses them over and over again. Then she takes out this precious bottle of oil, perfume, ointment. And she anoints his feet in this very symbolic action of reverence and devotion. Does this seem, seem, seem strange to you? That's because it is strange. And it's not just because it's from a different time and place than our own. One commentator, uh, Kyle Snodgrass, writes, by letting her hair down, touching Jesus' feet even with her hair, in anointing his feet with perfume, this woman contravened every social convention of the day. Were it not for her tears, the acts would border on the obscene. But obviously, this woman is on a mission. She doesn't care what anyone else thinks. She needs to get close to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't turn her away. By receiving her, Jesus makes absolutely clear to everyone who was watching, that he welcomes people like this, the outsiders and the sinners. His presence at this party transformed what was meant to be an exclusive VIP party, and he makes it a space where truly anyone is welcome. Socially, this woman was the most vulnerable person in the room, but spiritually, her love is powerful. Where does that love come from? Jesus makes it clear in verse 47. 
Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. She isn't forgiven because she loved. Instead, her love shows that she knows she has been forgiven. She believes that Jesus really is who he claims to be with the power and the authority of God to forgive even her sins. And to prove the point, Jesus says to her in front of everyone, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In God's upside-down kingdom, it's those like this woman who have nothing but their need for forgiveness who are the ones who receive the assurance of their salvation. So this is our first point today. We will be a church that embodies the gospel insofar as we are a church for outsiders. As long as we keep that potluck mindset, going back you know, 56 years uh, to the fellowship room at Prez House, overlooking Library Mall, then we will continue to be the church that, calls it, that God calls us to be. Not only for students, but for all our friends and neighbors in Madison. This means keeping and having that mindset that says, this is not just for us. This is also for others who need to hear a word of grace and peace. So that's our first point. But there's also another dimension of what it means to embody the gospel in Luke 7 that that we need to see also. The gospel is not only for outsiders. It's also for the insiders. It's not just for our friends who don't yet believe in Christ. It's also for Christians to believe every day. Jesus welcomes outsiders, but he also challenges insiders. And let me show you what I mean. As the woman arrives at the party, Simon the Pharisee is looking on. And as soon as the woman appears, you can tell that that Simon is hyper aware of her presence. And Notice how carefully he judges the identities of Jesus and the woman in verse 39. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of a woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He looks at the woman, and all he sees is a sinner. And all, he looks at Jesus, and all he sees is not a prophet, And in response, Jesus tells Simon this parable in verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which was about two years of wages, and the other 50, about two months of wages. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, on one level, this parable is meant to help Simon understand the extravagant love of the woman for Jesus. If you believe that you owe a debt to Jesus and he has forgiven forgiven you, you will love him in return. And, And the more you believe that he has forgiven you, the more you will love him. But the parable is not just about the woman. It's meant to challenge Simon to see 
uh, in a new way, to see himself and his own need. Jesus asks uh, a piercing question in verse 44. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Simon has not really seen her. He's only seen a sinner. He's not seen Jesus. Because he doesn't believe that Jesus, that he owes Jesus anything, he shows none of the woman's love and devotion. And Jesus doesn't hesitate to point it out to him. In verse 44 again, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. A Jewish feast had all sorts of protocols for hospitality. And Simon has probably done them all. He's done everything he was supposed to do, issuing the invitation, providing the meal, hosting the party at his home. But a host was not required to wash the feet of a guest or to kiss them or to anoint them with oil. These are things that were not required, but that you would do for someone whom you loved. And this is the point. Simon is righteous in every way. He's done everything right. He's carefully attending to his holiness and his social standing in the community. But he doesn't love Jesus because he has a little sense of his own need for forgiveness. The woman is completely unrighteous. Jesus says her sins are many. But she loves Jesus because she knows that he has forgiven her sin. Jesus has seen her and loved her. Let me offer an illustration of what makes this so powerful. I received a surprising text last week uh, from a friend uh, who's a painter. And the text said, look at what I've been working on today. And then he sent a photo of a painting on his easel, and it was a portrait of me uh, based on a photograph. And this was a very unsettling experience. <laughs> you know, I was really speechless. Uh, you know, to see myself through his eyes and, you know, just, just the idea that he'd been meditating on my image, you know, for so long, uh, you know, I felt honored, but also really uncomfortable. And then I got an email just a couple days later from our own Cam Anderson, uh, who shared an essay on his website about his own experience of having his portrait painted. And he wrote about it very insightfully and helped me put into words some of what I uh, was feeling. If you don't know his website, you should check it out. It's called liminalmaker.com. Uh, and he gave me permission to share part of this. Uh, an exchange that he had with his artist friend, Bruce Herman, about uh, his own portrait. And Bruce, the artist, uh, texted Cam uh, the, this, in a similar kind of way, uh, the photo of the portrait, and then he followed up by saying, I, I think I am nearly finished with your portrait, but something is missing. And Cam writes, interest peaked, I replied, what's that? Oh, your inner conflict. Caught off guard, Cam typed, what conflict? 
His response, almost immediate, the conflict between your self-doubt and your public confidence. And then Cam writes this. You can talk to him about this after the service. <laughs> uh, in that rapid give and take, Bruce named something I had long intuitively known to be true. He stated it plainly, and I took no umbrage. Even now, the insight of his gift holds fast. Now, what made this experience so powerful? It was that he knew that he had been seen, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And Cam goes on to write about how this is an essential part of portrait painting. It's also an essential part of the ministry of Jesus. Did you notice what verse 39 says? Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, you know, this woman is a sinner. He's thinking to himself, and Jesus replies. Jesus also sees Simon, not just on the outside, but on the inside. What does this mean for us as a church as we seek to embody the gospel? A church that embodies the gospel will be a church that sees outsiders and sinners and welcomes them into the worship of Jesus. But it will also be a church for insiders who need to be seen and who are invited to see their need for grace in fresh ways. Jesus also sees and welcomes them. I know that some of you here today identify with the woman in this story. Uh, you're aware of your failure or your sin. Uh, you feel it's obvious to others, and you're desperate to hear Jesus speak a word of forgiveness and peace to you. And this story assures you that when we go to him with our need, he always forgives, and you can do that today. But I also know that some of you identify here with Simon. On the outside, you look good. You work hard to do what is right. But if you're honest, you know that you don't see yourself, really. and You don't see others as you should. And that it's so easy for you to look down on other people we don't have it together like you. And the message today is that Jesus sees you too. Not just on the outside, but on the inside. The radical welcome of Jesus is not just for those whose sins are obvious in public. He is also for the self-righteous and the prideful. And we will embody the gospel in our life together as we get this. And as we worship Jesus and receive his grace, no matter who we are. This brings us to our last point today. How outsiders and insiders together form a new kind of community. For us to live into this story today means turning away from ourselves, uh, whoever we are, in order to worship Jesus. And this is what, in, in this story, Simon can't seem to bring himself to do. Uh, his whole posture is one of avoiding Jesus, 
questioning his credentials, doubting him, criticizing others around him. And in contrast, it's the woman who moves into an encounter with Jesus that is raw and messy, but real and transformative. She leaves knowing that she has received his blessing. Her sins truly are forgiven. Her faith has saved her. Jesus tells her, go in peace, to live into this shalom that she has received as a gift. This peace in the Bible is never just a private reality, but a public welcome into a new community of saved sinners. In the church, people who may be different socially, economically, racially, politically, meet in and through Jesus. And so we will embody the gospel to the the degree to which we represent this reality so that the world sees Jesus in and through us. This happens as we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Whether you're like the Pharisee, doing everything right socially and morally, but looking down on others who are not as righteous as yourself, or whether you're like the woman who's done everything wrong, all are welcome to eat with Jesus and to know his love. We don't know how Simon ultimately responded. I like to think he eventually came to faith. But regardless, we do know that it was just this kind of diverse community that gathered around Jesus. The Gospel of Luke itself makes this point. Our text today is from the very end of chapter 7. And then at the very beginning of chapter 8, Luke describes the, the followers of Jesus. He writes, Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Men and women, rich and poor, tax collectors and zealots, the powerful and the oppressed, all of them are brought together in the worship of Jesus. So let me end today by asking you to uh, look at this prayer guide that you were given in your bulletin today as as you came in. Uh, As we reflect on our mission and vision as a church uh, this month, we're going to be using these prayer guides to help us uh, pray together as a community. And you'll notice there's a little paragraph under the, the part about our mission statement for this week. We glorify God by embodying the gospel in our life together. And it's meant to be an expansion for reflection on what we mean by that. And let me read this for us as we close today. First and foremost, we embody the gospel as we worship Jesus Christ, through whom the triune God reveals the fullness of his love. As a worshiping community, we praise our creator, we exalt the sacrificial love of Christ, empowered by God's spirit, we participate in his renewal of all things, including ourselves, Shaped by the gospel and nourished by word and sacrament, Geneva Campus Church is a sign, instrument, and foretaste of the kingdom of God. We are a sign of the kingdom as we point people to the world's true king. We're an instrument of the kingdom of God as God uses us for his work in the world. And we're a foretaste of the kingdom as we experience in our life together a glimpse of the glory of heaven. So I invite you to join us in prayer 
for these things in the coming week. Uh, but as we do that, just one last thing that we need to keep in mind. As we seek to embody the gospel in our life together, we can do that with such peace and confidence uh, because we know that it's Jesus who is the one who builds his church. We know this is true because he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This means that no matter what, in all our ministry, in all our living and believing, we can trust in him. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father, we do give you thanks and praise today for this good news of the gospel. We thank you for Jesus and we worship him today. We pray for a growing awareness of your grace, of your forgiveness, of your love in our lives, that we would be like this woman, pouring out ourselves before you with such gratitude and devotion. And we pray for our mission and vision as a church that you would continue to bring us clarity and conviction uh, that we might be the community that you call us to be uh, for the sake of uh, the city and for the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.